0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you open your Bible toward the middle, you have Psalms. Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. We'll be uh, covering a large chunk of text today, so uh, if you'll just flip over there. Uh, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother on my mother's side, uh, we referred to her just like many people do their grandparents by a, a name other than grandma or grandpa. We referred to her as nanny, and um, and nanny, uh, she was she was uh, she she could be very sneaky. And, and let me give you an illustration of that. Whenever I was a child, uh, my family was firmly, and I know some of you are firmly in this camp as well, my family was firmly a blue-plate mayonnaise family. And and I know that's, that's the case for many people. And I will say, much to the chagrin of many people that I know, uh, having, having lived in Tennessee for a while and, and then, uh, started sampling other, uh, mayonnaises. Uh, we are, we are now a Duke's family. And I know that's, that's hard for some people to grasp. They say, we well, would never do that. Boo hiss. I understand. And, uh, but, uh, and, I, and I've seen people, I actually saw a couple of people the other day, this came up and it was much more of a rivalry than state and Ole Miss. Um, it was Duke's versus blue plate. It was, it was, it was nasty. It was just really nasty. But on this particular day, my grandmother had made some sandwiches. And if, if you were like me, you grew up, uh, the fastest thing you could make was either a sandwich or cereal. And, and so my grandmother had made sandwiches for us one summer, one summer day. And I took a bite of it, and I said, something is wrong with this sandwich. She said, there's nothing wrong with the sandwich. I said, there's something wrong with the mayonnaise. She said, there's not anything wrong with the mayonnaise. It's your imagination. So I went to the refrigerator and checked, and she had bought an off-brand mayonnaise instead of Blue Plate, because they were out of Blue Plate at the grocery store. Uh, the Piggly Wiggly didn't have it, and so she bought some off-brand mayonnaise. And I said, this does not taste right. And she said, what's wrong with it? I said, well, it's just not as, as sweet as, as Blue Plate. Well, the next day at lunch, I sat down, she made us sandwiches, I took a bite. Now the sandwich still had mayonnaise on it, and it was sweet, but it was crunchy sweet. And, and I said, show me, I said, and I'm, mind you, I'm probably about nine years old. And I said, will you please show me the mayonnaise jar? And she said, well, it's blue plate. And she took an old, empty blue plate mayonnaise jar, took the off-brand mayonnaise, mixed granulated sugar with it, in case you don't know, sugar and mayonnaise do not mix. They do not, sugar does not dissolve in mayonnaise. And she had mixed that up and put it in the blue plate jar and tried to pass it off as blue plate. And I took a bite of it and I said, this is totally wrong. And her statement to me was this, well, if you close your eyes, you don't know the difference. And I said, well, Nanny, I'm not seeing the mayonnaise anyway. Closing my eyes is not going to make a difference. The closest I came on that day to getting a whipping." was when I went into an argument mode with her about this mayonnaise. Uh, So many times, and I have nothing against generic things, I have nothing against off-brand things, that's not what I'm saying, but I I do think sometimes we try to take something that is really off-brand spiritually and we try to make it the main thing. We try to pass it off as the real thing. And so many times we have these imposters that want to step in and say, this is the way of true joy, and we end up with this off-brand delight that is not real joy it's not lasting biblical delight and we are left trying to figure out why this thing has failed to bring me the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that it may have promised and in the book of ecclesiastes when you read through ecclesiastes you find that solomon the wisest man in the world gives us counsel about what true satisfaction, true joy, and true delight is, where it lies. Now, let me just give you a little brief overview, a little review of where we have been thus far over the last two weeks as we've talked about the war for joy. We defined biblical joy in a very specific way. We said that biblical joy is abiding delight by abiding in Christ. We stay put in Christ, we we stay close to him, we follow him, we abide in Christ, and whenever we abide in Christ, we experience an abiding, a continual, a firm, a confident delight. And then last week, we talked about the definition for delight. We said that delight, biblically speaking, if you go back to the Hebrew, can best be described as an informed type of excitement. A thoughtful excitement. It's not just based on sheer emotion, it is thoughtful. It is based in truth. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that Solomon goes through and he looks at what the world says brings joy. And then he draws his conclusions about are these things things that create lasting joy, lasting delight, lasting satisfaction? Now before we get started and I know you look at all of the things that we have on this outline You think there's no way we're going to get done. You're just gonna have to listen fast That's all I can tell you because it's gonna it's gonna happen real fast. So buckle up buckle up buttercup because it's happening um But when you look through the book of ecclesiastes So many times so many pastors and so many ministry leaders can sometimes avoid the book of ecclesiastes because the book of ecclesiastes Can sound so incredibly negative Now, I know we have some favorite passages that may come from the book of Ecclesiastes, and we say, well, I don't really think it's negative. But if you read it all the way through, at first glance, it can seem extraordinarily negative. The book of Ecclesiastes, I honestly believe, I was talking to Rebecca the other day about this, I said, I honestly believe the book of Ecclesiastes is probably the most modern book in the Bible that that I know of. And when I say modern book, what I mean is it addresses the tendency of humanity especially that we see today to pursue happiness and joy and peace in all sorts of other directions and then the utter futility of doing that and so i want us to i want us to mention two words or two phrases that we find throughout the book of ecclesiastes and if you understand those two phrases if you understand how those two words are used those two concepts everything else makes sense Because then you read a book of Ecclesiastes and you see Solomon isn't being overly negative. Solomon is being extraordinarily realistic, biblically realistic. And those two concepts are this. One word that is mentioned multiple times is the word vanity. You see it, vanity of vanities. And we look at that word vanity and we usually think of vain, someone who is vain. They're self-absorbed. It's not what the word means when we find it in the Old Testament. That word vanity is a word that comes from the Hebrew word for vapor, for smoke, for a mist, for a, just as James talks about what is, what is man, his life is like a, a vapor. His life is a, is a breath on that, that condensed breath on a cold day. That's the word so that word vanity is the word that means it's something that is fleeting it's something that it's hard for you to grasp it may mean something that doesn't have any meaning but it can switch between those various nuances depending on how the word is used and solomon when he uses that word in ecclesiastes it goes back and forth it can he sometimes uses it to mean something that doesn't have any purpose he may use that word to mean something that is fleeting that is temporary he may use that word to mean it's something that you really can't grasp fully it's unknowable and he uses that word in all of those ways so that helps us to understand where Solomon is coming from let me give you another phrase and I really believe that if you understand this phrase the way it's used all, it, it unlocks the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's this phrase, under the sun, under the sun. We're going to see it multiple times today. Solomon talks about the works that are done, the thoughts that we have under the sun. So many times we look at that phrase and we say, well, that just means all of creation. But that's not the way Solomon uses that. It is all of creation. But the idea is this, when you read under the sun, think of it this way. Whatever comes before that, under the sun, under the sun means those things that are done without God as the focus. Those things that are done not just on earth, but those things that are done from a strictly earthly viewpoint. Those things that are done with strictly earthly motivations. Those things that are done by strictly earthly human power that's the phrase under the sun and then you have that contrasted with there is a time for every purpose not under the sun under heaven when God's purposes reign supreme and you see these things as being God's purposes now we would say well does that mean the things that are under the sun are out from under the control of God no not at all it means they're done as though God's not in control they're done as though God's not Lord. They're done as though God doesn't exist. They're done from a strictly human vantage point or strictly a human source of power. So if you understand that and then you read, you realize, oh, wait, Solomon isn't being overly negative. He's being very, very realistic. So let's just go through some of these ideas about the war for joy and about these, this off-brand delight And when we fail to see God as the sole source of joy, what will we turn toward? Well, the first thing that Solomon mentions is that we will turn toward a pursuit of earthly knowledge, not heavenly knowledge, but earthly knowledge. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 16. I said in my heart, this is Solomon writing, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after wind for in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, granted, Solomon is talking about from a strictly human standpoint. Solomon's got all this wisdom from God. Now he says, I'm going to try to accumulate human wisdom. I'm going to look at things strictly through the lens of human wisdom. I'm going to try to view these things without God. And Solomon says that it doesn't amount to anything. Human wisdom is ultimately going to fail. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 we find the beginning of wisdom is this. Get, the beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Biblical wisdom, biblical insight. But Solomon says that worldly wisdom and worldly insight will ultimately fail. And if we're not looking at God as the sole for, focus, we will start looking to try to gather earthly wisdom. We'll try to understand the world around us from a strictly earthly vantage point. That's one reason that you have so many contradictions. That's one reason that, that's one reason you turn on the news and you have someone who is standing up and making a speech. And in one breath, they are saying, we have to do everything that we can to protect our children from violence. And in the next breath, they talk about, we should have the right to abort an unborn child. Can I tell you what has led to that? A lack of godly wisdom. And the world doesn't see a contradiction there. But the reality is, that's a major contradiction. And we find major contradictions in lots of thinking, and lots of worldviews, because we don't have God as the sole source of our wisdom. And Solomon says, it's not going to amount to anything. It's folly. You find in first Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, Paul writes, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, now that is according that you might as well say in this age with under the sun, let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is folly with God for it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. So if we remove God as a sole focus, we start focusing on human wisdom. If we remove God as a sole focus, we begin to focus upon comfort and pleasure. We we have a focus of comfort and pleasure. Look at what Solomon writes in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity, fleeting, unknowable, passing. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than Any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all my hands had done and the toil i had expended in doing it and behold all was vanity and a striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun here's the wisest man in the world saying i pursued comfort i pursued pleasure he had the means to accomplish comfort and pleasure that we have not even begun to imagine yet and he accumulated all these things and he said and it didn't matter it did not matter It didn't bring lasting joy. It didn't bring lasting peace. It didn't bring lasting satisfaction. I had a friend of mine. He said, you know, uh, they say that having multi-millions of dollars will not change a person, but I would just like the opportunity to try. (laughs) I'd like the opportunity to try. Whenever we focus upon these things, Solomon says, it doesn't work. If that's your sole focus. Without God, that can't be your sole focus. You find in Philippians chapter three, verse nineteen, Paul writes about these people who were coming into the church and spreading false doctrine, and they were also consumed with satisfying themselves. And he writes in Philippians three nineteen, "Their end is destruction. Their god is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their god is their belly. They're self-indulgent. They're, they're idolaters toward their own personal." comfort and pleasure in james chapter 5 verse 5 james writes you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter same basic idea that you find in the book of ecclesiastes so if we don't focus on god we we turn toward a focus on comfort and pleasure if we're not having god as the sole source of joy we turn toward a monument to personal achievement look at verse chapter 2 verse 12 so i turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what Can the man do who comes after the king? He said, I'm the king. So if I'm the king, certainly I'm going to be able to do something that lasts. Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. That is ultimately, they're going to pass away. We'll talk about that in a moment. And, he, and then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? If we're all going to end up in the same place, why do, why am I trying to exercise wisdom? Because there are this, there are these people, there are these people who are so foolish and they're living according to earthly ways and they're going to die. And here I am living according to God's wisdom and I'm going to die. So what, what is there to be had? Look at verse uh, 16. Or continuing verse 15, and I said in my heart that this also is vanity. There's the word again. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. The foolish person, the very wise person, you give it enough time, nobody remembers them. Maybe some people close to them. Maybe if they've done something that's lasting, but for the most part, they're forgotten. They're forgotten seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun. There it is under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Here he is saying, I turned my eyes to look at personal achievement. What's that lasting monument that I could make? What's that lasting contribution that I could give that was going to surpass everything. But he says, if I'm doing it by my own means, if I'm doing it by my own hand, it's going to pass it's like i heard one writer one time he was uh, he was speaking at an event and he said you know they have family game night maybe some of you have a family game night and he said you know we will somebody will pull out a board game and they'll open it up and he said that his family's favorite game was monopoly and they would play monopoly and he said but you know what happens at the end of monopoly it all goes back in the box doesn't matter if you won or lost it all goes back in the box and he said, at the end of your life, it all goes in the box. It all goes back into the box. And that's it. That's, it it's, it's done. Your, your work in that sense is done. So you need to make sure you're, you're right with God on this side of the box. Because once it goes in the box, that's it. It's over. It's done. And Solomon says, I'm noticing that the foolish people, they go in the box. The wise people, they go in the box. And given enough time, nobody remembers them. Given enough time, they're forgotten. Given enough time, they, they pass from the scene. Psalm 103, verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. It's the same thing Psalm is saying. Psalm 49, 10. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. And yes, that's word "stupids" in the Bible. Okay. Somebody recently said, the word stoop is never in the Bible. Okay, well, yeah, it is. All right. A monument's personal achievement. No matter how wise you are, no matter how foolish you are, it doesn't matter what monument you leave, it's, it's going to be over. And so we find that Solomon says, under the sun, if we're seeking personal achievement according to human means, it's going to fail. And then finally, a lifetime of hard work. If we don't keep God as the sole source of our joy, we'll just turn to a lifetime of hard work. Now understand, we're going to get to it in a second. We're not saying you shouldn't work hard. What we're saying, that does not give you lasting fulfillment, meaning peace, joy. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Someone says, I can work so hard, I can accumulate wealth, I can do all these things, and then I'm going to die. And whoever comes after me is going to pick it up, and they're going to get it for themselves. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. So I'm going to end up leaving it to somebody who didn't even work for it. And I've worked all this time and I'm going to leave it to somebody who didn't work for it. And they may not even appreciate it. They may end up being foolish and squander everything I'm leaving. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man for all the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He said, I don't even know. I mean, life's going to end. I work so hard. I work and I work and I work. And then what happens? I'll leave it to somebody else. And who knows if that person's going to appreciate it. All this lasting, a lifetime of hard work may amount to nothing if it's done under the sun. You find in Psalm 127, verse 2, Psalmist writes, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So some people will read that and they will say, ah, see, the Bible says we shouldn't be working hard. Solomon says you shouldn't work hard. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, what's the source of your power in working and what's your focus in your work? Psalm 127 verse one, if you back up one verse from the verse we just looked at, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So it says, unless God does it, it's all in vain. Unless God empowers it, it's all in vain. Unless it's done for God, it's all in vain. And then when you do it without God, you do it without God as the focus, then you get anxious. Then you get concerned. Then you get worried because now you're doing it under the sun, not under the power and by the strength that comes from God alone. This is why in Colossians chapter 3, Paul can write this in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work for heaven, not under the sun. So, what is the right response? Well, Solomon has a shift. And in this shift, I just want to look at it for just a moment. In this shift, what we find is that Solomon now looks at many of the things that we just looked at, but Solomon looks at them from the vantage point of doing them by God's strength for God, and everything changes. Here's the key. It may be, in some cases, the same thing. The only difference is it's done from God instead of being done for self. It's done by God's power instead of being done by human power. It's done for the glory of God instead of being done to make glory for ourselves. And that's the major difference. It may be the exact same act, but it may be done, different motivation, different empowerment different result because of the focus instead of the focus being on i got to get as much joy as i can get for myself by myself no i'm going to give god as much glory as i possibly can by god's power for god alone and then in doing that god takes the most mundane things and god empowers them and uses them for his kingdom so god directs us in his word to enjoy the passing but good gifts from him Solomon is saying all these things are passing, but now, and he goes, yeah, I can't even enjoy them because they're passing. Now Solomon has a shift and he says, but wait, if I'm enjoying them as a gift from God, I can enjoy them even though they're passing because I recognize they're a gift from him. Look in Ecclesiastes 5, 18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that god has given him for this is his lot everyone also to whom god has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil this is the gift of god for he will not much remember the days of his life because god keeps him occupied with joy in his heart he says just enjoy your life enjoy the passing fleeting pleasures that are god-given and god-centered enjoy them as a gift from god I talked to a guy one time he said, I'd like to give my testimony. It was in the Sunday school class, uh, years ago. He said, I'd like to give my testimony of how God has worked in my life. And I said, okay. I said, well, run it by me. I said, I'd like to hear it. So he went on and he told me for about 15 minutes, all the things that he used to be involved in and how incredibly enjoyable all those things were to him. And then he went on for about 15 minutes and the very end of his testimony, he says, and then I got saved and God took all that away. I said, and he said, well, that's the end of my testimony. I said, man, can can we talk about how God has changed you? Yeah, well, God took all that away. And that's a good thing. And I said, okay, can I just tell you, there are going to be people who may be in the group that are coming as guests and maybe they're not Christians and that's the life they're living and they're enjoying it. And if you end your testimony with, and I got saved and God took all that away, the end. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. I said, you do realize they're all going to look at you and say, Well, I don't want Jesus then. Because he's, he's just told me how much he enjoyed all this stuff, and I'm enjoying all this stuff. I said, How about the joy that's found in Christ? He goes, Well, that's a given. I said, No, you got to explain that, brother. You got to tell people what God has done. You got to tell people how Jesus is so much better than anything else before. But we can enjoy those passing but good gifts from him. First Timothy chapter six, verse sixteen. Paul exhorts Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, that vanity of riches, but on God. And then notice this last phrase, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you have something that you can enjoy in a non-sinful way, that's not a, a sinful gift. If you've got a good gift, it came from God and God wants you to enjoy it. So many times I think in the Christian life, we act like we get saved and then God just says, well, you're not going to have any joy whatsoever until you get to heaven. That is not what the Bible says. God has given us gifts to enjoy them and enjoy them in such a way that points the glory and the giftedness or the the gift itself back to the ultimate giver. And that is God. Ecclesiastes 7, 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that the man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon writes, you have plenty, rejoice. You're in lack, consider because God's the one who's in control and enjoy those good gifts from him. Even if they're passing, enjoy them. Not only that, keep a biblical perspective on the brevity of life. Ecclesiastes nine verse seven, go eat your bread with joy. There's that phrase again eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Those are the symbols, garments, and the oil. Uh, symbolic of the the joy that's found in god enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun now he's not saying yeah your life doesn't have any meaning just enjoy it while you can no he's saying in the sense of vain here it's passing our temporal earthly lives they're passing they will be over one day So enjoy the good gifts and keep a biblical perspective on how brief life is. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought of knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going, into the the grave into which you are going. We don't have time to read it all, but let me just encourage you to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Uh, You may read it and act like, well, Solomon is just being willy-nilly here. He's just saying, go do this and go do that. No, he's saying, enjoy that life because your life is brief. Someone once asked Billy Graham many years ago, they said, is there anything that has surprised you about life? And he said one thing, the brevity of it, the brevity of life. You turn around twice and you realize, you realize, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm needing reading glasses. You turn around the next time and you can't find them. <laughs> um, and then you turn around the next time and you wonder, what was I looking for? The, the life is brief. The years fly by. Life is a vapor. It is that vanity, that fleeting, passing vapor, just as Solomon writes, just as James writes. So we keep a biblical perspective on the brevity of life and also not just the brevity of life. I mean, life is short. Eternity is long. So we need to invest in the right thing. And then finally, we seek God. We seek him above all else. Listen, how Solomon sums everything up. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon said, you want me to sum it up? Fear God, keep his commandments. Have the right kind of reverential, awestruck, respectful fear of God himself, and then live by his word as though it is absolutely true. As, as one person I heard many years ago say, you want to know the secret to happiness? secret to happiness is you love God and you live like everything he has said in his word is absolute truth because it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the sum total of it all. Seek God above all else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you all these things being all the earthly concerns all the things about what you're going to eat what you're going to wear where you're going to stay all these things you seek god first and all these things will be added to you he'll provide so we have the wisest man in the world solomon never is there anybody wiser than him the wisest man in the world is saying I sought all these different things to try to find joy, satisfaction, peace, lasting hope, lasting comfort, and every one of them failed. Only the things done for God, done by God's power, done with a focus upon God, those are the only things that matter. And the difference in something that is vain and something that has meaning, the only difference between something that is eternal and something that is Passing And something that is knowable and that you can grasp and something that is completely and totally beyond our understanding is if we are doing, in some cases, the exact same thing. But if we're doing them for God, by his power, to seek his glory, to bring joy to him, or oh, we're seeking these things by our own power in order to bring ourselves, work up, create, and maintain some type of human based earthly based under the sun type of joy that is nothing but a smiling smiling substitute a smiling imposter and some off-brand substitute for real eternal joy that is found in christ alone let's pray lord god we come before you and we're thankful for biblical joy god we're thankful that your word gives us direction not only does it give us direction in the way to go your word as we looked at it this morning gives us direction about the paths not to take when the wisest man in the world that you had given that incredible spiritual wisdom to tells us not only by the wisdom of god but also by personal experience that these things do not last father may we pay attention to your word so Father, I pray if there's anything we're running to that is a broken cistern, that can hold no water, anything that we've propped up or lifted up or we look to, to try to use to bring us joy and comfort and peace and satisfaction, Father, if it's not you, I pray that you would turn our hearts and our eyes and our minds toward you alone. And Father, in many cases, it's, just, it's a shift in motivation. It may be the same job but if we're doing it for you it changes things father it may be the same set of daily habits but if we're doing them for ourselves they ultimately fail but if we are aligning ourselves with you it makes a difference father maybe some of the words that we speak if we're speaking those words and saying those things in order to build ourselves up Father, it may be the exact same type of thing that we're sharing, but if we're doing it for you, by your power, for your glory, it changes the very trajectory of those words. And so, Father, I pray that whatever we find ourselves doing, whatever we find ourselves saying, wherever we find ourselves serving, that we would do so not for ourselves, not unto man, not under the sun, but for you under heaven. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning that's been running to all sorts of other things to try to find joy, peace, and contentment. And you have clearly told us from your word that it is only found in Christ. And I pray today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus. They would turn from sin. They would turn from self. They would turn toward anything under the sun that they've been running toward to try to find meaning and purpose and joy and that they would turn to Christ alone. Who alone is perfect who alone has everything we need, who alone came and lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross in our place so that if we receive him by faith, we will be saved. Father, I pray today would be the day that there would be some who would make that decision to follow Christ for the first time. Father, we pray in this time of decision, whatever decision needs to be made, whatever prayer needs to be offered, whatever whatever movement needs to occur, whatever command needs to be obeyed, Father, we pray that you would give your boldness and your leading and your guidance in that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.